The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners and friends. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm your host, also Director of Advancement and Admissions here at the seminary. And I have with me on the podcast today, Pastor Bill Hill and Mr. Zach Dotson. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Mr. Groff. Yeah, thank you, Zach. Good to be here. Pastor Bill Hill graduated with a Bachelor of Divinity from the seminary in 2016 and currently ministers as pastor of Fellowship Presbyterian Church in Newport, Tennessee, a congregation of the Western Carolina Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America. While pastoring, he is taking classes with us toward the end of earning a Master of Arts in Religion degree by distance. Zach Dotson is a current distance student in our Master of Divinity program, and he serves as stated supply at Coldenham Newburgh Reformed Presbyterian Church in Walden, New York, a congregation of the Atlantic Presbytery of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. Both of these brothers have been guests on the podcast in the past, and all of us, listeners and uh, participants in the podcast, owe Bill, in particular, a debt of gratitude for being the inaugural host of Confessing Our Hope, getting us started many, many years ago. And gentlemen, again, I really appreciate you being with me today. The topic for today's podcast is cross-cultural ministry, which is something of a buzzword nowadays. And the way we're using the term is very simple, as a designation for ministry performed by someone from one particular cultural context to people in a different cultural context. The reason I asked Bill and Zach to join me is precisely because I believe that these men have experience in such ministry by merit of the fact that each of them is something of a stranger in a strange land. Bill is originally from New York, as his accent makes clear, and is serving in a rural Appalachian context in East Tennessee. Conversely, Zach is from Wise County, Virginia, a rural Appalachian context, as his accent makes clear, and is serving in New York State. It's kind of like the prince and the pauper, but with confessional Presbyterian churchmen from very different parts of this country and who look nothing alike. Uh, Men, I think I'm going to defer to uh, our elder churchmen here on the podcast. So, Bill, I will start with you to kick us off. Very briefly, tell us how you, a New Yorker, ended up ministering in Appalachia. What cultural roadblocks have you encountered along the way? Yeah, Zach, that's a good question. Just a minor correction. Western Carolina Presbytery is now Highlands Presbytery. But anyway, just for those who might catch that if they're listening. Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, it's one I've, I've thought through quite a bit. Um, it is, uh, interesting how the Lord and his providence, uh, determined to put me in a context that is somewhat of a challenge for me, just personality wise, uh, upbringing, um, and what I'm used to. So the, the means by which it happened, of course, are, are pretty ordinary. Um, I went to seminary at Greenville, as everybody knows, and then um, after graduating, I was ordained in, a, in Western Carolina Highlands Presbytery um, in Marion, North Carolina, a small church, and then it was eventually called to where I am uh, today. Um, and so through various means and ways, the typical things, um, the church where I'm currently pastoring uh, called me knowing, of course, because all you have to do is really talk to me uh, to find out that I'm not really uh, from 
uh, from the South, although I've been in the South since 1998. So I've been seasoned somewhat in Southern culture. But the fact is, it's been uh, it's been a challenge personally. And I think, honestly, the Lord did that because something that ministers sometimes forget that we're still being sanctified in this process of the Christian life as well. And I think the Lord put me here uh, to work in me some issues and things that I needed to deal with uh, just um, as I interact with other people. So, Hey, Bill, um, let the record show here on the podcast that we're doing a video Skype call, and you are, in fact, wearing a New York Yankees hat. And so that process is ongoing, as, as you've been pointing out. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, it's a funny story, but briefly, when I first came to the seminary, I had a New York Yankees license plate on the front of my car, and someone warned me that my car would get keyed if I kept that there. I never took it off, and my car never got keyed, but the, but the joke is, the, you know, the issue is still the same. Um, no, I wore the hat for Zach's sake, um, Zach Dotson, the other guest, uh, but not really. Uh, so... I think the Lord, you know, is in really in, in His kindness to me to help me deal with some issues of patience, um, being willing to not always be the guy in the room that has to say whatever needs to be said, um, learning to listen more and talk less um, is one of the reasons, at least things I've learned being here. Um, with that said, it's still quite a challenge personally and. The, for the life of the church as well, they they clearly know that I'm I'm a Yankee. I'm from New York, and I have that type A thing, and um, but it's how it's used. So, but but I got there by the ordinary means. Um, the Lord and His providence called me there and uh, called me here, and I won't. And I'll tell you that it's been uh, there've been many days where I've wondered why. I already know the answer to that question, um, but. Sometimes I still ask, why am I here? Seems so fish out of water for me. So, um, but it's been very good. Yes, we're glad that you're there. Zach, now how did you, an Appalachian Virginian, end up supplying a pulpit in New York State while pursuing your seminary education by distance? And what cultural roadblocks have you encountered along the way to getting to the point at which you're you know, currently serving the church? Well, I appreciate the question, Zach. And I, I guess the first thing I would say is, um, you know, the, the church here needed an intern. And I happened to be the guy that applied for the internship. And I could say that pretty much I was the most qualified candidate. I was also the only candidate. So that, that definitely did work in my favor. Um, and so I ended up coming here for two months uh, right before I was I was due to, to move down to Greenville. And the situation was such where I kind of felt like I needed to stay. It would be good for me to stay. And so I, I ended up, you know, working it out with the session, and I ended up staying on. And I've been licensed now to preach the gospel by the Atlantic Presbytery, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I guess if I, if I can, put on my soapbox a little, I want to say that, I, I think Pastor Hill is particularly privileged because Appalachia is really the, the, the most beautiful and culturally richest part of the United States. And I, I sincerely mean that. I mean, you're, you're looking at people 
that are descended from, you know, Scots-Irish people that came here in the 16-1700s. For example, I myself happened to be a first boat to Virginia guy, so my family came to Virginia on the first boat. I'm a direct descendant of Pocahontas, they say, although I'm, I, I don't know if that's exactly true. But as I, as I look at the Appalachian region in, in which I grew up, I just I think I was tremendously blessed to have grown up in those in those hills and hollers and to have you know just been surrounded by the beautiful mountains and I I just I thank the Lord in his providence for that but you know coming to New York has been good for me because I it was only really after moving to the northeast that I realized how much of a of an Appalachian I was how much of maybe a Southerner I was. And so I feel like the Lord has has worked in in me, maybe along similar lines, to make me all things to all men and to have to confront different cultural contexts that I'm not entirely always uh, comfortable with. Now, I will say the differences between New York and Appalachia are pretty uh, are pretty drastic. Um, Appalachia is not the most friendly region of the country. They're very... Uh, withdrawn, very cautious of outsiders. Sometimes they might call them Jaspers. Sometimes they'll call them outright Yankees, you know, but they're, they're rather withdrawn. And so one of the things I've, I've learned is New York is kind of like that, but a lot less friendly. Like New Yorkers in Appalachia, they won't tell you how they feel about you to your face. But in New York, I mean, they will just, they will let you know. So a great uh, example of this is one time I was I was doing some evangelism at this local community festival, and I was I I asked this young lady who was walking by. She was with her boyfriend. I asked them both. I said, you know, would you would you like to visit our church? And she said, no, I'm Jewish. And I said, well, the good news is salvation has come to both the Jew and the Gentile. And then she flipped me the bird. And <laughs> and so I I say that because. In in actuality, that was that is not the response you would get in the American South, right? <laughs> um, and it was it was somewhat of a rude awakening for me, for that matter. But um, New Yorkers have no problem letting you know where they stand. Uh, they have no problem telling you how they feel about you. And there's there's very little um, by way of formality and friendliness. Whereas in the South, and particularly in Appalachia, we like to dance around things. We don't like to tell people, you know, we don't like you or we have a problem with you. We'd rather say something kind of backhanded, like bless your heart, which really means I think you're you're not the brightest, but Die. I want to yeah. be nice. That was very insightful. Bill, what do you want to chime in there? Yeah, I, I, I didn't really deal with some of the roadblocks, uh, I don't think in my answer. Um, and I think, um, the other Zach guessed that he, this is uh, confusing, <laughs> but you can say Mr. Dotson if you yeah, want. I could say that I could, um, I could say the young man. How about that? Um, <laughs> that doesn't really narrow it down between the two of us compared to you. You just call me Dotson. You call him Groff. I think, I think that's probably an ideal way to go about this. We could do that. One of the things that I ran into here and I'm still running into, and I'm thankful for my wife who reminds me of this uh, frequently, I am probably, and I don't say this to brag, this is not a bragging thing, it's just, a, it, it's just an observation. I'm probably more, I'm probably overeducated for this area. And because of that, uh, I, in preaching especially, 
I tend to wander into those big ter big words, terminology that they just kind of look at me like, what? And they have no idea what I just said. And so I find that I have to um, explain or define things that in some places I probably would not have to even bother. They just, they know what that means. And so there's a, a certain struggle for me to always remember that you know, I can use terms like justification or sanctification when I'm preaching, but if I don't actually explain that in the sermon, at least briefly, which is one of the benefits of knowing the shorter catechism, then they're just going to be lost at that point. And so I have to work at that. Um, and um, so that's one issue that I've experienced probably in the, in the three years I've been here, almost three years, that's been a challenge. My wife reminds me of it, though. Um, she'll tell me, there you go again. You're using those big words and nobody knows what you're talking about. And I'm like, oh, so it's important for me to make sure I remember to do that. It's not a slam against their education. It's just the, the fact of reality here. And maybe my situation is more unique than other churches in this area that they just didn't have that background uh, when I came here. I probably assumed too much. And so now I'm learning to back up a little bit and explain it more carefully. That's helpful. Bill, that actually leads us to our next question that I have for you. How would you describe the shape of your ministry? What are the definitive marks or what Dr. Hamilton here calls emphatic notes of your agenda as a pastor? Yeah, it, it's not a difficult question. It's a good question, and, and I would like to think that every pastor has this these priorities um, themselves. Um, my first job is to preach the Word. Um, it really wouldn't make any difference if I was here or California or wherever. Um, that's my first calling. It's my first responsibility. It's what I give my greatest amount of attention to. With that said, um, there is a strong need to shepherd the people. And, you know, the other Zach, you know, hit on something, you know, this friendliness issue and they're closed off a little bit. I'm an outsider. So it becomes a little more of a challenge for me to try to engage in shepherding visits and whatnot. I mean, thankfully, I've, it's been well received by and large, but people here, they're, they're very private and they tend to hibernate and they don't really want to deal with people that are not from here. And so it's pretty clear I'm not from here. As soon as I start speaking, they know that. But shepherding becomes, is, so that becomes a challenge, but also a great blessing at the same time. And it's overlapping issues between preaching and shepherding. If you don't know your flock, you certainly can't preach to them intelligently. And then the other challenge, which is even greater than the, the second item, is just simple outreach into the community. Everybody here, by and large, uh, would identify as a Christian. I mean, I'm right smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. There's 250 churches in a county of 31,000 people. Now, you do the math. If everybody went to church, um, what do you have? A church of over a little bit over 100? But we know that's not happening. So if I were to stand in Walmart and ask everybody that walked in the door, ask the first 100 people that walked in the door, are you a Christian? They would, I would say 95% of them would say yes. Now, whether they understand what that means is a different issue altogether. So evangelism is difficult because if I say to somebody or invite them to church or talk to them about coming to church, immediately I get, I'm already going to a church. And so obviously I don't want to proselytize. I don't want to, you know, steal them, as it were. 
but I do know that some of the makeup of this county and the churches that are here. And um, so that becomes, it, it's a harder focus because everybody's a Christian, right? So when I talk to them about the gospel, uh, they agree with me, at least they give lip service to it. But if I press it, uh, it becomes a whole different conversation. So preaching, obviously, is priority. Uh, shepherding the people that I have. Um, interestingly, in my church, the makeup of the church, the majority of the people are not from here. And I found that, that to be a very interesting dynamic. They've moved in from outside this area, and they love what's going on. I have a few that are born and raised here, and I'm thankful for them as well. But it is an interesting dynamic. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think that's very helpful and illuminating as well. I, it's an interesting observation to make that most of the people in your congregation, um, and I know it's not a large congregation, but regardless, most of them are not from the area. And nope. you haven't really been there long enough to chalk it up to the fact that you're not from the area. I mean, they most of these folks were already there when you arrived. And so um, I, I think that that's, that's, that's an interesting observation to make. Does is there something about Presbyterianism that that is difficult to take root in East Tennessee? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good point, and I've often made that point with my elders and um, my wife. They see the word Presbyterian on a sign, and they think we're from Pluto, and um, they don't know what that means. They have no concept of it. I've had people, local people that are born and raised here, uh, visit, and, and I'm convinced they're in a state of shock for the entire service. They've never seen Reformed liturgy in their life. We don't have a choir. We don't have solos. We don't have all that other stuff going on. We are very simple in our approach to worship. And and I can tell by just by looking at them during the service that they are in a state of absolute shock. They don't know what to make of this. And because that's not what they were raised in. It's not what they were born into. Um, the church they used to go to or were going to is the church their daddies and mommies went to and their granddaddies before the and and so there's this really strong traditionalism that runs through this county and, and I'm not against traditionalism I think it could be used very faithfully and in 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 and productively but when they come to visit fellowship it is as though they moved into another they came that I'm in another planet they just don't know what to make of it it's fascinating Zach, I'm going to ask you a question, but before I do, why don't you introduce our uh, our third guest here, who's just joined you? Well, um, my my son actually woke up and um, managed to crawl into where I was at, so <laughs> I had to nab him really quick. It's my son Archie. My wife is actually here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just do the pass off, and I <laughs> I'm really. Sorry about that, but yeah, that's that's part of life, you know. Oh no, that's a delightful part of life. Don't don't be sorry for that at all. This is a family-friendly podcast. I check off that box every time I post it into my uh, <laughs> into my podcast feed. Zach, you heard um, pretty much everything Bill described uh, before Archie uh, sequestered your attention for a moment there. <laughs> but how is what you're doing as a student supply preacher? different than what Bill has described? How is it similar? And how does your denominational situation affect things coming from the RPCNA? Well, so, yeah, there's, there's quite, a, quite a bit to this. Um, one of the things I would say is coming into a small church in, I guess you, people would say, upstate. 
state, I guess around here they refer to us as downstate. We're in the Hudson Valley. We're not, I can be, if there's not bad traffic, I can be in Manhattan in an hour and 20. Um, and and so we're, Bill, Bill says is upstate. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're upstate. Okay, fine. Um, we're, we're upstate, however you want to say it. But uh, one of the things that I've found to be, maybe a bit of a, a something that personified what I'm trying to do is I'm coming here as stated supply. I'm trying to get the people here to love uh, the reformed faith. And I'm also trying to love them. And so I'm, I'm really trying to do, I guess, two things. I'm trying to preach uh, a gospel message, the same gospel I would preach if I was still in Appalachia to a, to a very different cultural context. And, and I love it because I've been forced out of my box, as it were. So now I, I sort of, I have to learn how to love New Yorkers for New Yorkers. And I have to learn to love New York for New York. And I will say probably the biggest benefit of, of living in New York has got to be the pizza. Best pizza yep. in the country. I'm just going to call it as I, as I see it. Um, it's great. That's a, that's a wonderful benefit. But I was also I want to think about or maybe pick up on something that that uh, Bill had said about people um, where he is not understanding language uh, terms like justification, sanctification, and so on. And I would say, you know what? I actually have encountered the same thing in New York um, in my own congregation. And I say that about my own congregation, not to say that they are uneducated or unaware, but just perhaps they hadn't really thought about things to the depth that they needed to think about things. And so I, I find a key part of maybe what I do, and I would say any man entering into the, the field of labor needs to do, is sort of a didactic element to what, what you're doing. And you need to be able to, to, to make people to understand um, some of these great truths that the Bible contains. And when you use a term like justification, you've got to be able to define it simply and, and you know, really clearly get it across to them. Um, and, and so I think it's, I guess what I'm saying is I see a lot of similarity in the fact that in Appalachia, people know what the term means, but in the same, on the same stroke in upstate New York, people might not, not know what the term means. So I think it's become incumbent on me to, uh, try to, to bridge that gap and instruct people and, and really instruct them in the comforting truths of God's word and apply it to their lives in a in an experimental fashion, yeah. and so that's that, that's ultimately what what I'm I guess trying to do as pulpit supply though, you kind of get the the best and the the worst of both worlds, so you get you get the joy of of being you know with somebody in the hospital, you get the you get the joy of preaching week in and week out to a congregation, whereas at the same time you don't have the title and you don't have the authority. Um, so you always have to kind of guard yourself, and it really keeps you humble because you, you have to ultimately remember, I'm serving at the leisure of the session in the presbytery, and I'm, I hope I'm doing a good work. But at the same time, you're not, you're not yet a pastor, and you're just laboring in, a, I think, a real sense to see the, the walls of Zion be built up and strengthened. Um, and, and 
so I, that I would view what I'm what I'm doing here is kind of perhaps in a in a I'll I'll borrow some fancy biblical theological terminology perhaps seeing it as kind of a post-exilic ministry like Ezra and Nehemiah we have to we have to rebuild the walls and our society is is crumbling down around us and we've just got to get that that simple gospel message yep. that Jesus died to save sinners yep. from the hills and the hollers of Cock County Tennessee all the way up to you know the upper east side of Manhattan and and that's what I'm here to do and I I love every minute of it and I really I love New York because New York has been just this this delightful challenge but I've met some of the dearest people I think I ever could have encountered in the ministry in New York. And they live in very difficult times. Serving a congregation has been a blessing. Serving a congregation while being a student at GPTS has also been a blessing. And so I guess I'm going to stop there because I'm just going to keep rambling on. Well, I'm glad you said that you love New York. And I'm glad it's being recorded and it's going to be produced at the end of the day. And the whole world's going to hear that you love New York. Obviously, that's I'm, all kidding aside. Zach, yeah, Mr. Dotson, the student, the whatever, um, hits, hit on something that I think is very important to keep in mind as we talk about cross-cultural ministry. I'm a Yankee. I'm in the South. Zach grew up in West Virginia. He's, you know, where I, you know. I grew I've up in, in Southwest Virginia. Now, yeah, there's I, a key I, distinction. In the Civil yeah. War, we voted to stay with the South. We didn't vote to form our own state illegally. So just, just so we're clear. I'm glad that's on record, too, that you called it the Civil War as well. Um, anyway, <laughs> you just keep stepping in it, my friend. Anyway, <laughs> but I think he makes, he makes a very important point that I think, it, you know, when we talk about cross-cultural ministry, there's obviously going to be cultural issues that you have to work through. But what never changes, and this is vitally important, what never changes is the, the message of the gospel. The gospel transcends every culture, everywhere, always. And as Zach put very uh, uh, succinctly, it's the simple message that Christ came to die uh, for sinners. And that needs to be proclaimed wherever you may be, whoever you may be, wherever the Lord places you, whether a Yankee in Cock County, Tennessee, or uh, a, a, an Appalachia uh, man who moves to an Sorry, I didn't say it correctly. I knew I didn't when I said it. Um, but that is a very important message that needs to be remembered. Certainly, there's going to be there's going to be uh, approaches, uh, you know, interpersonal kind of things that are going to have to, you know, you're going to have to bend a little bit and find some niche in that process and let your personality still be who you are at the same time. Um, use that in a way that reaches people, doesn't force them away from you. But the message never changes. And so as we seek to reform a church or seek to bring the beauty of the Reformed faith, the message is the same. Uh, Christ died for sinners. He delights to save sinners. That's the same message wherever you may be. Um, and that needs to be proclaimed wherever Amen. you may end up. You know, for my own background, uh, regular listeners of the podcast know bits of my story here and there. But I, I was converted in a uh, under the preaching ministry of a man from Bristol, Tennessee, who had yeah. ministered in North Carolina and had spent 14 years as a school teacher in uh, outside of Melbourne, Australia. 
and um, and so he had uh, he had a, a foreign accent uh, for us mainline uh, Philadelphia uh, folks in this PCUSA church in which I grew up, and uh, but it was under his preaching ministry that I was converted, and I mean he he uh, he had some delightful idiosyncrasies as a man from Bristol, Tennessee, who had lived all over the world and who was ministering on the main line outside of uh, outside of Philadelphia in a western suburb. Um, and this, for regular listeners who know the geography, this was when I was living in Havertown, uh, Pennsylvania, not uh, when I was living in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Very, very different contexts, just five miles well, apart uh, from one another. Aren't Havertown and Upper Darby both like Delco? They're both Delaware County, and they're right next to each other, but it's just start. It's like galaxies apart to go from 69th Street and Upper Darby out to uh, Eagle Road in Havertown. And if you haven't been there, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you have been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, In any case, um, I just want to say I think it's extremely valuable when the Lord, and beautiful, when the Lord takes somebody out of one place, puts them in maybe the least likely place imaginable for them to minister, and then uses them for the salvation of his elect and the calling of his elect. And I... I have experienced that in spades in my own life, and I have thanked that man, uh, Pastor Brown Caldwell, profusely again and again and again, and he's a dear brother and friend. And now he's, uh, he's doing missions work um, with a seminary in the Philippines and uh, through the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You know, I've obviously gone in a different theological direction, more into confessional Presbyterianism, but I still have a, a, a deep appreciation for him and how the Lord has used him. And Bill, in that vein, as we're thinking about men going from one context to another, what cautions would you give someone from the American South who might be considering a call to a congregation in the Northeast? And then conversely, what cautions would you give to a man from the Northeast who is considering moving into a call in the South without having yet lived in the South? You're different because you've been living in the South for a while. But, you know, what, what advice would you give to men going in either direction? Yeah, it, 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 another it, again, it's a valuable question. I think just practically, I think the biggest thing that I would say uh, to a younger, a young minister coming out of seminary, uh, maybe he's a southerner, is a southerner, and the Lord graciously calls him to pastor a church in the north, is to not to grow grow a backbone. And what I mean by that is that people are going to say things to you that you're going to think are rude. You're going to think that they're, you know, that they have no courtesy, they don't have a respectful bone in their body. And it's probably not the case. It's just as uh, the other Zach, Mr. Dotson, has mentioned, they are very, people in the North can be very direct. And I've always appreciated that. And that's been my big struggle being in the South because it's kind of a backhanded insult instead of just saying it plainly. Um, Bless your to me, to me, to me, that's, yeah, to me, that's more, that's more difficult to deal with uh, because I'm used to more direct approach, but that's what you're going to get. And you need not take it personally. You, you need not let your ego get all broken up over someone who comes in your study and says, I don't like your preaching. You must not let it, uh, let it terrorize you yeah. that way. Or I, I don't like the way you, co- you know, you part your hair or, you know, what, whatever it may be. I mean, people are going to be apparently rude and, and and i guess in some context it is but but the fact remains that they're probably not intending to the be same that way. Pe- 
Right. They're the same people, however, that will probably be in your corner and fight to the death for you if things go bad. Um, one thing about people in, in my context when I was growing up, when your, your friends, you knew who your friends were and they stood by you uh, no matter what. And they were the people and, who would give you the hardest time. <laughs> yes, which is why I appreciated them, because they weren't afraid to say, Bill, you're being a dummy. Um, and I was told that many times. So um, so don't, don't, don't crumble under that. Just realize it's probably not what it seems uh, up front. And just that's just the, the nature of the, the beast up there. Now, flipping that over uh, as one who's probably spent half his life now in the South, um, I'm glad we've now, got that on recording. Well, I came in 1998, raised my family in, in Southeast Virginia. Um, what would I tell a Yankee, a Northerner? And I've been called a Yankee flat out from my own elders during a difficult period in the church. I mean, that was their biggest hangup. It was amazing. But what would I, you know, what would I tell them? I would say to them, look, um, you're used to being outward and, and outspoken, perhaps, uh, you know, speak your mind, black and white, um, plain. People here have a harder time with the direct approach. So you can still do the same thing, but you need to back into the issue, not hit it head on. And I've had more success with people in the church if I've, if I've just kind of asked lots of questions and not make direct statements and sort of back into the issue in a way that brings them into what I'm trying to do instead of instead of them thinking I'm just the you know an offensive rude Yankee, and, and so you have to. The fact is that the Yankee issue is going to precede you in any conversation you have, and especially if you're wearing a Yankee hat, like um, you are right now. I, I am, but I'm home. Nobody can see me except you and the other Southerner. But if you back, if you back into the subject and, and, and try to find a different way of doing it, you can do it. If I can do it, if I've been, if the Lord could teach me how to do it, that anybody can learn to, to do the same thing, but do it in a way that uh, doesn't present that Yankee persona. Um, you can't change your voice. You can't change your accent. I would say, um, when you go out in public here in the South, one of the things I've tried to do um, on purpose is when I'm in the stores or I go to a, wherever I may go, I try to be uh, very, very pleasant. I know they know the minute I talk, I'm not from here. It's clear. So I try to overcome that with just respect and courtesy. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I'm 54 years old and I say that. Why? Because I'm trying to overcome their, their already perceived ideas of what I'm probably going to be like as a Yankee and as a Northerner. And, and, and oftentimes it, it does draw them in and we can have conversation and they don't, that perception falls away in, in time. The other thing too is um, people here are very untrusting. It's not an insult. Um, they're, they don't trust the government. They don't. They don't trust anybody from the outside. They and rightfully so. Well, I mean, let's maybe be honest. so. But they think everybody's out to get them, and there's you know the you know a bunch of you know conspiracy theories and all this stuff. And so you're an outsider. They are. You already have a strike against you before you even speak to them. See, it, and it's and not then the accent just confirms it. 
it, right. And it's not intentional. It, they're not trying to be, uh, they're not trying to be uh, rude, uh, but they're very standoffish. And if you act in a very overt, direct manner, you will run them away. And so you've got to draw them in. And as a minister of the gospel, you know, you want to make the gospel attractive. You want to have that aroma. And so you have to overcome some of that. Um, and I think the Lord is doing that to me uh, in time. I'm, I'm nowhere where, where I want to be, obviously. But um, it, it is something that I deliberately do when I'm in public, is I try to engage people in a pleasant, respectful manner, considering where I am and where they've grown up. And, and I am the outsider. So it's up to me to try to bridge that gap. And so that's the effort I make. Um, and that's what I would tell anybody from the North. You, you're just gonna have to work extra hard to win their trust. Once, they, once you win the trust, then there's a lot of things you can do. But if they don't trust you, you're done. You're done. That's great advice. I think that's great advice to anybody going anywhere, but especially, uh, acknowledging the fact that as someone who's used to living in the north from the north with a northern accent and all that stuff um, you will come across as much more direct than perhaps you intend once you enter yep. into a context such as east tennessee particularly a rural southern context yep. as opposed to yep. an urban southern context where there is a bit more directness going on. I mean, if you're ministering in downtown Atlanta, that's very different than ministering in Abbeville, South Carolina, for example, or something. Yes. I mean, downtown Atlanta is the north. I mean, right? That's exactly that's my point. Yep. It's the melting yep. pot. I mean, sure, that's at least the southern pot. perception of downtown Atlanta, Charlotte, you know, any of the major uh, urban areas. Let me, let me just real quick, I was going to just briefly say when I was in seminary, pri actually prior to going to the seminary, a graduate of the seminary, so it's a plug, of course, for the seminary, and if you're thinking about seminary, you really need to consider Greenville. There it is. Um, but a graduate of the seminary told me, uh, interestingly, that the Lord had probably called me to a northern church. He couldn't have been more wrong. And so it goes to show you that this work that students are aiming for, they're, they're, they believe they've been called to the ministry, uh, it, it has taught me, at least, that this is the Lord's work. It's not Bill's work. I mean, it, it makes absolutely no sense on an earthly plane why the Lord would put a Yankee, a New Yorker, with a strong New York accent, with a very direct approach in an East Tennessee mountain town with people that I have no idea how to deal with or didn't, at least when I first got. It makes no earthly sense. It still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> but, it makes, but it makes perfect sense when we recognize that at the end of the day, the Lord's going to do what he's going to do for his church. And he put me here for his church. These are his people. And at the end of the day, whatever good comes from it didn't come from me. It came from him. Amen. And, and that's something that I, I constantly remind myself of, that I'm not here because this is, would have been ideal for Bill. It is ideal for the, for the glory of Christ and his kingdom. And so it's his work. I just try to be faithful in it, and he gets the glory um, because it doesn't make earthly sense, but yep. it makes heavenly sense. That's right. Zach, is there anything you would like to add to what Bill said, particularly in those two scenarios, advising 
a man from the south taking a call into the north or conversely advising a man from the north taking a call to the south i would i would say yeah a lot of a lot of things uh, first off what what pastor hill said it, uh, on the whole was was largely correct and i would i would just echo that one of the things i would say that is particularly culturally different for me was i grew up kind of with and there's not a nice way to say this so i'm just going to say it i grew up with this kind of attitude largely unspoken but i learned more about it of of kind of the the yankee do gooder that just wanted to come in and change everything and make everything right and and southern people they're very adverse to the idea of the yankee do gooder quite frankly yeah. they don't like it and i'll i'll admit if somebody who lives in the north now, I still don't like the Yankee do-gooder mentality. Um, <laughs> well, no, you know, Zach, Zach, if I can interrupt you just for a second, you're making an excellent point, and I should have mentioned this. One of the things that I struggled with when I first came to fellowship was just the idea of change. Just change in any, I mean, it couldn't have been the most minor thing, but to make that change was like, I, 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 I'd ruin their whole world. And um, you're right about that. And I would caution anybody coming into a southern, especially a southern context, if, give it time, a year, maybe two years before you change anything, because they don't respond well to change. I guess no, most people don't, but I've, I've experienced that particular issue that you're mentioning here in a very pronounced way. It seems like New Yorkers, at least where I grew up, change was not really that big a deal. But here, it's rooted in this, we've always done it this way, and that's the way we're going to do it, even if it's wrong. And I would caution a minister to be very careful about any egregious change in your first year or two in a Southern context. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, you're, you're, that's fine. I, I totally agree. I would say that if you're from the North and you're ministering in the South, um, I would say one of the things you've you got to be kind of aware of is there's there's really multiple Souths. So South Carolina is actually quite different than East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, where where Bill is and where I'm from. Um, there's there, there's different Souths. There's different cultures, and it's the same thing. Like I I lived a year in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is different than New York. And yes, so you it have is. to remember it. You, you have to remember on both so. sides of the coin. Um, there's there's going to be different cultural context wherever wherever you are and you, you kind of have to go with that in mind i would i would say to a to a northerner that's going to be ministering in a southern context you have to be prepared for that you you really should strive in a sense to be blameless and to be supremely polite because that's what people are going to look at and and I'm not going to speak about the deep south, like South Carolina, Alabama, um, that area, because I don't know it that well. But I know in Appalachia, if you if you have the people's trust, you can really say whatever you want to say to a certain degree. And if people know you love them and they trust you, you can you can get away with a lot. It also, I will say, helps if your family's rooted in the area, and and so that that helps quite a bit too. Um, on well, the on the other you hand. You make Go an ahead. interesting you, you, this family rooted in the area is an interesting dynamic that I've experienced. Um, the Lord and His providence brought my parents here uh, about a year and a half ago. They bought a house, moved here. Um, 
So there is that fam there's a certain sense of family roots now here at I'm not just the only one. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about, but it does help. Um, it hinders. Yeah, I think it, it, I helps. Think it helps. I mean, where, where I grew up, and this is maybe sort of a shameful thing to admit, there was, there was really like in, in a three-county radius, there was probably 12 predominant last names. And I, I had one of those predominant last names, so I automatically fit in, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and because I fit in, that was, that was just something that kind of I was an Appalachian. But I didn't spend my whole childhood in Appalachia. And I'll admit, coming back, I grew up, spent eight years of my life in the Deep South. Coming back to Appalachia was, in a sense, a rude awakening mm. because, I mean, it was it was odd. It was like I, I totally belong in this place. This place has defined me. I, I hadn't lived there up to that point. But then also to realize, like, man, Appalachia, it's a rough place to be. A lot of poverty, a lot of people that are rough around the edges – I would say about Appalachia, it is it is the Bible Belt, but it's the part of the Bible Belt that's maybe not quite the Bible Belt in a in a real sense. So, the the culture is much more driven by Scots Irish kind of outspokenness mm -hmm. and 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 fear of outsiders. So if you if, like if you're in South Carolina, everybody's very friendly. That's not the case in East Tennessee. I was born in Bristol, Tennessee, by the way. So I, I understand that it's not very friendly and that sort of thing. But let me, let me flip the coin. If you're a Southerner and you're coming to the North, you've got to be prepared for people just to level with you on a plane that you've never been leveled with before in your life. You've, you've got to be ready for people to basically say, after you after you preach a sermon, it's not going to be the nice little old lady in the back saying, "Well, you know that was that was good, darling." Thank you, you Pastor. A little bit. Right. Yeah, you need to be ready for somebody to say that absolutely was a bomb, and you need to get it together. Um, yep. And that's that's part of the northern just context of things. The other thing I would say about the north is is that you don't actually have to worry and this is something i've found kind of liberating about the north you don't actually have to worry about stepping on people's toes as much because everybody steps on everybody's toes it's That's part right. of life and you, yep. you can just kind of be much more direct about issues so i've i've appreciated that in in a northern context quite a bit but on the whole if you're a southerner and and you had no experience in the north and you moved to the north it's probably going to be a bit of, of culture shock. From, from guys I know um, that have gone north to south, it seems like it's less of a culture shock to go north to south than south to north. Although I, I, I stand to be corrected, um, but that's that's been my observation. So that's, no, that's I, my conclusion yeah, on it. I, I think you're right about that, Zach. And I, I think one of the things the Lord did for me to prepare me for East Tennessee you know, you look, you know, Providence, you know, it's like Dr. Shaw used to tell us in Hebrew class quite often, Providence is like Hebrew. It's best read backwards. And so the Lord in 1998 moves me to Virginia. Okay, so we're in Virginia. Then the Lord in his providence moves me to South Carolina to go to seminary. And then the Lord in his providence calls me to where? ultimately East Tennessee town in the South. But what my point is, is that I think the Lord was conditioning me somewhat to, uh, to work through the rest of those issues that were going to show up 
that weren't necessarily comfortable for me in a normal manner. Uh, so in preaching, for instance, you mentioned in the North, you can be a little more frank, and then that's true. And I, I operate better in that environment. Personally, personality-wise, I'm better there. But I've had to learn in my sermons to find, to say the same thing in a different way, which means lots of thought and thinking and, and working through the sermon preparation. This is a very important application. If I say it bluntly, I'm going to lose them. If I back into it, I'm, I might have a better chance of, of connecting the dots with them. So, but I think I was being prepared for that. You know, 1998, 2011, South Carolina, 2016, or 2017, here I am in East Tennessee. In East Tennessee, so I was being conditioned by in the Lord's providence for that, uh, for that work. And so it just comes back, circles back to what I said earlier about how the Lord is still sanctifying us, and the church is being used to sanctify us uh, wherever we may be. And and I've seen that. And I think it's a good thing. You know, it's taught me to be a little more gentle, uh, not as aggressive. Uh, I, I get frustrated about things to not be as frustrated, learn not to be as frustrated about things and to find more patience in issues um, than I probably would have had to do if I were pastoring in Rochester, New York, where I grew up. Good stuff. Thanks, Bill. You know, I, I'm sure there's some there are some listeners right now who heard you say that and are wondering, Wow, what was he like before he lived in the South? That must have been really, really intense. Um, I don't think I could have tolerated it. <laughs> Zach, uh, I want to follow up with you on something. You recently, uh, because we're friends, I know this, you recently visited Australia and um, specifically Tasmania to engage in some ministry there on a, on a short trip with your wife and your son. How has your experience in the exotic locale of the Hudson Valley, New York State, up to this point, uh, how did that help or inform you as you entered into an even more exotic locale to, um, to do some ministry uh, on the other side of the globe? How did you approach that opportunity, and did your experience in New York have any bearing on how you, you know, entered into what you were doing in Australia for about a month? So, you know, the Lord has been very gracious to me in the sense that um, as a seminary student, I've had a lot of opportunity to travel. So I've visited, I visited the maritime provinces of Canada. I preached there for a summer. I've been to Australia. I've lived in New York. I've preached down south. I've, I've seen a lot of the, of the world maybe in a sense. And not, not that I've really been out of the Anglosphere when I, when I think about it. But um, I would say that you know, being in the Hudson Valley, then taking a, a really long plane ride to Australia, I sort of have been conditioned maybe to prepare myself a little more for their culture and their distinctives. And and I would say that, generally speaking, Australians are a little more like Southerners than like people in Manhattan. So that was not the most difficult aspect of my of my time in Australia. Um, I guess on a on a funnier note, in Australia, it's true the spiders are gigantic. Um, and we encountered this firsthand several times. Um, and there's all sorts of exotic wildlife that's just all over the place. But I like traveling. Um, 
And, and you know, Australia was, was a blast. Uh, and, and kind of the same thing I would say that, that fuels what I'm doing here, what I, what I would do if I was in Appalachia, what I would do if I was in Australia is the same. That is, you know, preach the whole counsel of God, do not compromise yep. and love that's the right. sheep. And that's, yep. I think that's the key things for success really anywhere. Um, is is to preach the whole council, don't compromise an inch, but also in your cultural context, love the people, love the sheep, and, and work with them. So that's really what I've got. You know, the, at the end of the day, you know, we can we can sit here and debate cross-cultural ministry, and we could parse this to, to death, frankly. Uh, but the Lord puts people where he puts people, and it's his church, and so he puts Zach Dotson wherever he's going to put him, He's put Bill Hill where he's put him. And at the end of the day, uh, working through all those other issues that we've discussed, which are important, at the end of the day, the only thing a minister of the gospel is asked to be d- to do by the Lord himself is to be faithful. That's it. The rest of it, is, it's up to him. And so, yes, we parse all this stuff out. We try to you know, be all the things we're supposed to be in our different contexts. But at the end of the day, the gospel must be presented in, in clarity, in truth, uh, boldly, firmly. Um, it, the hope of Christ needs to be extended. I don't care what context you're in. It doesn't change. And so I would say to anybody, wherever they may be called to go, just be faithful. Uh, you know, uh, make adjustments, but do not compromise the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. Very good. I, you know, I think that's as good a comment or remark to close our conversation on than as any, especially as we've been focusing on cross-cultural ministry. And one little caveat here that I do want to put in into the podcast, I understand that uh, in, in, in some senses, the, the distance is not so great between East Tennessee and the Hudson Valley, culturally speaking. Um, there, there are other, there are other ways we could have tackled cross-cultural ministry. And there may be other ways that, that we will on this podcast, uh, continue this conversation with other folks who are ministering in even more radically divergent or different contexts. You know, the biggest one namely would be uh, foreign missions and Dr. Curdo's experience that we learn in class, you know, of how uprooted from Southern California to go into an unreached people group in, uh, in um, in northern Uganda, I mean that is a cross cultural ministry. If you can have one at all, if the concept has any kind of real meaning, um, but this conversation I think was important because when we talk about cross cultural ministry, we tend to go to the more radical, extreme expressions of it and gloss over or neglect the fact that there are significant differences even within what Zach called the Anglosphere, the the world of white Anglo Saxon Protestantism or whatever. Uh, or geographies that are largely majority um, made up of, of, of white folks. And so this has been a really helpful conversation for me as a, as a northern transplant, uh, living blissfully and thankfully in the South for a season of my life. Uh, this is something that I've thought about more in the last three years than I thought about in the you know 27 or so years uh, that I just lived in my hometown. So Zach and Bill, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending this hour with me, uh, sacrificing some of your valuable time. I hope that this is a benefit to our listeners, and mm-hmm. um, and I hope that this was a benefit to you men as uh, as we've been able to talk together. Yeah, no, I've I've appreciated Mr. Dotson's 
comments. Um, it's helped me a little bit. Um, and I'm still learning and depend on the grace of the Lord to help me deal with uh, some of the things we've talked about in a way that still presents Christ before the people. Um, you know, it's up to us uh, to do that. Uh, we're ministers of the gospel. We're leaders of the church. We're to be examples. They're looking to us for that. It's important for us to make those adjustments. They're not going to adjust. We need to adjust. And so Zach's pointed out some things that I probably need to think through more deeply. Just in closing, those are my at least observations from what I've benefited from this discussion. I, I would echo that. I mean, Bill obviously understands the North in a dynamic level that I just can't in a, in a, in a sense in that I didn't grow up here. Um, I would say we've, we've really liked the Hudson Valley. We've really enjoyed the state of New York. All of that being said, you will probably never catch me wearing a Yankees hat, but that's okay. Um, Nobody's perfect. I understand that, you know, but we've we've enjoyed it. So it's if you been want to good, wear a Mets hat, a lot of that would be okay. To think I would accept through. the I would accept the Mets hat, but don't put on a Braves hat. Chop on, brother. The there Braves hat. The Braves never, hat looks good. I, I'm, I, I'm a Phillies fan, baseball, and I like the Braves so. hats. You know. I don't think we're going to see it, but I'm over this whole thing. Yeah, so. it's been intense. Well, yes. to, to our listeners, I do want to give a plug to our summer classes this year. Um, at, at this point, we are planning on having them, hosting them here on campus without any, uh, without any material restrictions, though we are taking some precautions, reasonable precautions, to mitigate the spread of any airborne pathogens that might cause disease. Uh, we, we are not requiring attendees to wear masks or anything like that, but we are uh, being careful and scrupulous in how we sanitize the environment and, and just be good neighbors and, and hospitable hosts. And um, so if you are at all interested in joining us for this year's Summer Institute, we encourage you to do so and visit www.gpts.edu summer for more information about the Shepherd Leader, the class that will be taught by uh, Dr. Tim Whitmer, my former pastor in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. He's uh, written, produced some great material on shepherding and pastoral care, and that will be the focus of our week-long intensive this summer. Uh, that was July 20th through 24th. And then July 27th through, um, through I think it's, oh, I should have had the date off the top of my head, but Dr. Piper is going to be teaching a class uh, July 27th to 31st, open to elders, pastors, seminary professors on sermon analysis. And this is one that he offers um, kind of on demand as students request it. And we had a group of students that wanted him to do that this year. And so that, that is also a good class. If you can't make it to the Summer Institute with Dr. Whitmer, and, but you want to do something this summer, uh, I encourage you to consider joining us for that class with Dr. Piper, who at that point will be President Emeritus. It'll be the first class he teaches in that capacity. Wow. So, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to seeing each of you and both of you in person at some point, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, brother. Enjoyed it. I've got to do that senior sermon thing, so you'll see me at some point. Great. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. To help ensure that we can continue to produce content from a Reformed and Confessional Presbyterian perspective, please consider making a gift of support in any amount at gpts.edu donate. For more information about Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, please visit gpts.edu.